0: So today's theme, what we're going to be kind of focused on is um, the idea of Israel wrestling with God. Um, So we talked last week about the establishment of Israel as God's sort of like new Eden in the world, right? That it's um, God's way of saying, okay, humans, you've screwed up my good world, Um, you have time and again rejected coming back to me. So now I'm going to pursue um, fixing the world through partnering with you in a special way through this one kind of lens, so to speak, by partnering with Israel um, and calling them out and giving them all these gifts to enable them to be faithful to that vocation of being God's people, God's ambassadors, God's priestly people in the world. Um, So they have all these gifts, they have all these means of being faithful, and yet... They're just like us, right? Um, who is the, There's a, a famous rabbi who said, um, Israel is just like us, just like everyone else except more so. Um, that's, so that's kind of what we see when we look at the story is how um, we can't do this on our own, right? And so their struggles are, in many respects, our struggles. So it's, it's helpful for us to see their story as our story, so I want to think about some of the ways that they wrestled with their vocation. They wrestled with God. Um, so one way of focusing this is by looking at the story of Jacob and how he gets the name Israel. So let's look at that story together. That's in Genesis 32. And... Um, Especially the story—I mean, it starts. It picks up in verse 24 through the end of the chapter, but we need a little bit of a setup. So, will someone read? Let's see, starting in verse three and read through verse 12 for us. 32, verse three through 12 to start.
1: Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir. the country of Edom he instructed them this is what you're to say to the Lord Esau your servant Jacob says I have been staying with Laban and you help me if I'm not saying you're you're great and have remained there till now I have cattle and donkeys sheep and goats male and female servants now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes when the messengers returned to Jacob they said we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and four hundred men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the group who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me, and also the the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted.
0: Thank you so much. Okay, so... Why this anxiety? Do you remember what happened before this in the story? Like, you know, if you're explaining this to someone who doesn't, isn't familiar with this, what would you say? Why is he so worried about Esau killing him?
2: He stole his birthright.
0: Stole his birthright. Okay, that's what we know about Jacob. Um, He, in fact, the name Jacob means the supplanter. Okay, so uh, he famously, he's the second born out of the two. He wasn't supposed to be the one to have the birthright, but he tricked his brother and, and received, you know, what was actually supposed to be his. So um, it's no wonder that he's worried. And what's interesting, I think, here is that what we see him praying to God is, it's kind of like he's saying, I know I haven't been faithful. I know I haven't done things the right way. And yet you made these promises to us, right? You made these promises that you were going to prosper us. He's remembering the, the promise made to Abraham. Um, you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as great as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So it's kind of like he's saying, I know I'm not the best guy, but you did make these promises to us. Can I still count on that, God? Okay. So now let's look at um, where the story picks up in verse 24. And through the end of that chapter, will someone read those verses for us, please? So in 32.
3: For you have striven with God, and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he
4: touched the socket of Jacob's here
0: on the sinew of the top. Thank you. Okay, so um, these name change stories are really important in Scripture. They're always uh, something we need to be paying attention to when we want to understand there's something giving us a kind of window into the kind of deeper meanings in the story. So uh, this name change moment it, where Jacob becomes Israel is worth paying close attention to. So I want to think about kind of the nature of this encounter and its results and why it lives on as it does in Israel's memory. Um, So a few things to to kind of highlight here. One is that after this encounter, Jacob calls the place the face of God. He believes that he has wrestled with God, that he has seen God, so to speak. He's encountered God. Um, It's interesting, though, because the figure he wrestles with, it's kind of this mysterious figure. Like, it's, it's, we're not sure who this is or what this is. Um, but there's some sense in which he, he feels that he has encountered God and he has been transformed by this encounter. Um, also worth noting is, you know, this desire he has to be blessed. I mean, that matches up with the prayer that he just prayed leading up to this encounter. Um, and it's interesting because when we think about the covenant God makes with Abraham is the... The kind that you make with someone when, uh, obviously, God's the one who's going to keep it, but there's this expectation of Abraham's people being God's people and participating in God's work in the world. And so, again, we see here that anxiety about whether or not, because he hasn't really been faithful to that, is he still included in the promise, in the blessing? So, um, it seems, okay, so there's all this, again, there's all this kind of mysterious, interesting stuff happening here. And the divine figure, um, first of all, lets him win, lets him overcome. So, um, one of my favorite, uh, I was talking about this with my undergrads one time at Lipscomb, and I said, So, what do you think that means? God, there's, he wins this, this uh, fight. And one of them said, Jacob must have been ripped. <laughs> I was like, Well, that's probably not the takeaway. I imagine that God could have won if he decided, or the divine figure. But there's something happening here about enabling, I, I, I think that's part of the blessing, right? He, he has this wrestling match with him, but he allows him to win. He says, you have prevailed. Um, I, I wanna come back to that, but that seems like a really noteworthy element here. Um, there's also the piece about him striking him on the hip. So even though he lets him win, uh, he leaves him with a reminder that he has wrestled with God. He, he limps thereafter. And the people honor that memory um, with their, their custom of no, not eating that part of the meat, right? Um, it's a way of calling that back to memory that this is who we are. This is where we get our name as Israel is from this story. Um, so this kind of seeps into their psyche as well. Um, this recurring reminder that we are the people who struggle with God and we are the people who limp. Um, so there's, you know, when you think about the various ways in which Israel limps, um, the various ways they struggle with their vocation and with God, um, we see that, you know, the reading for this week, if you were able to do it, kind of tracks these various themes. Like if you could look at the theme of the king, um, Israel wasn't set up to be, it was set up to be a theocracy. It was supposed to be the people being governed by God, by way of God's representatives. It's a lot more like a church than like a, you know, the system of governance we're used to, or certainly that their neighboring people had set up, which was they had kings. But Israel's struggle, um, again, this is how we are too, is they want to look like their neighboring people. They want what they see other people, they want the securities that they see other people having that look like so much more of a sure thing than what they have, Right? So they want a king. Um, Samuel feels rejected by them. God says, they aren't rejecting you. They're actually rejecting me. Um, and yet he says, okay, I'll give you a king. Right? He, he kind of works with them on their terms and lets them. But there's always this promise of the real king that is coming, the true king who will be one who's a servant. So there's this, um, we see this interesting way in which God works with them and their desires, but also sheds light on what's really intended for them, which will come. So there's this promise of the real king. And um, Israel's kings can't, none of the kings that we see throughout the Old Testament history are able to actually keep Israel faithful to their vocation. The kings themselves fall away, or they might succeed for a little while, but then things kind of fall apart, right? Um, Another way we see them wrestling with God is, of course, just through the patterns of when they fall away from faithfulness, they go into exile. Um, so, there, there's this pattern of exile and renewal, right? Exile and return. Um, disorientation and reorientation. Rescue and renewal. So, there's always this, it's like Israel just can't learn its lesson, okay? That's what you, I mean, that's the main theme that stands out when you're a kid. That's what you keep seeing. I'm like, why can't these people just obey, you know? Why can't they get it together? And as we get older, at least as I've gotten older, I realize how why it's so hard, Right? you kind of realize as you become an adult, why this living into that vocation is actually such a such a hard thing when you're not, when you're focused on self and not on the ways of God. Um, and then uh, there's just this ongoing struggle they have with living into their vocation in terms of being faithful to the, the ways of the Torah that have taught them to live in justice in relation to the vulnerable people among them. So, Many of the prophets are calling them back to that vocation. Um, don't exploit the needy. Be mindful of uh, the people among you, who, the widows and the orphans, the people who can't fend for themselves. Um, God's heart is for the vulnerable. You should be protecting the vulnerable. Um, you were once uh, people without a place in a land, so be mindful of the immigrant among you. Um, so there's this call back to this is who you're supposed to be. So a lot of the prophetic reminders to them are about you're not worshiping God properly and you're not honoring God's ways by taking care of the vulnerable among you. Okay, so, um, and yet, so Israel struggles with this stuff and yet they still have these hopes that God will be faithful. They're just like Jacob. They say, they go into exile and they say, we know that we haven't been faithful Will you forgive us? Will you be faithful? You did promise us this, okay? Um, And we have, you know, so many wonderful images of what God is going to see happen. So we can look at that in um, Isaiah 2. One one such picture of what's to come. (coughs) Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4. Now, it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. You hear that that promise to Abraham that all nations will be blessed. You hear that echoing here, right? And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again Will they learn war? It's this beautiful imagery, right, of just this day that will come when finally we will have rest from our toil, right, rest from our uh, tendencies to battle amongst each other, you know, to do violence to one another, um, to disregard the way of the Lord and the word of God. So I think um, one thing we can see in God letting Jacob win the wrestling match is that God is empowering Jacob to enter into authentic relationship with him. Um, And God does the same thing for us. Uh, We are the people who struggle, uh, but who are not afraid to struggle with God, and we are still people who limp. Now, we are being made new. We've been given the Holy Spirit. This is something Mark's been really great about reminding us of, that we don't live under the law of sin. We live under the governance of the Holy Spirit, so, um, And yet we're still awaiting that day where we're finally purged completely from sin, where the whole world is set to rights. So in between the times, right, we've received the promise, the seal of our hope, and a means of sanctification, and yet we wait to be made perfect. We wait to be, and what, you know, Romans 8, the revelation of the children of God, fully revealed. So um, in between this time and that time, we groan in the Spirit. We rejoice, but we also groan. Uh, so we can also pay attention to the significance of lament, um, the, the role that lament played in Israel's kind of regular rhythms of worship. It's fascinating. I mean, something John Mark pointed out that I hadn't remembered um, in the reading this week is that the Psalms are almost 50-50 praise and lament. Um, I mean, I you know, I'd be curious to know what you all think about how in the world we might make space for this in our churches today, I think there's a sense we have that we're not supposed to do that kind of thing, that it's it's faithless or something if we're not only ever praising or only ever giving thanks. But the picture we have here um, is God's people wrestling with God, Um, saying, where are you when it feels like you should be here making this right? Um, Have you forgotten your promise? I mean, that's... It's a pretty startling thing to us. Um, you can look at Psalm 88. Last reference for I'm thinking you'll do a lot of Bible flipping. Let's see. I mean, this, whole, there's, this kind of thing is pretty dark, right? Starting in verse 10. Talking to God, will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness? And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Saying, God, if I die, who will be here to praise you? But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Oh, Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. That's it. That's <coughs> it. That's the end. I mean, can you imagine us singing that together today and then saying, you're dismissed. (laughs) Have a a great week. Um, I think, again, I I would be, I always am interested in in thinking about ways that we could do this more faithfully together, um, what it would look like. I do think it's important to think about how we move from lament to praise. um, Because I think what we see is God is not put off by the fact that we struggle. God isn't put off by wrestling. That's wrestling with him. There's a way in which it's, he's enabling Jacob, he's empowering Jacob to wrestle and transforming him to kind of move on down the road that way. I think the same thing happens in our lives. Um, so we need to speak to God about our losses and griefs. Um, We need to mourn together about the evils in the world. We need to lament over what's happening in Israel. Um, The conflicts that feel so far beyond our ability to step in and do something about. Um, What's interesting is, when I think about what distinguishes this from just shaking your fist at God and cursing God, is that the psalmists maintain throughout that God is the one who saves. Um, (coughs) There is never this question about who God is um, and that God's never questioning God's capacity to be the one who can step in and save us. Um, So we can be frustrated, we can even be angry, um, but that doesn't mean we're rejecting God. It means we're in this kind of authentic relationship with God. So um, this is Israel's story. It's everyone's struggle because God doesn't always explain why things are happening. Uh, But then there is something of value in the protest, in the wrestling, um, and God wants us to come to him. That's the thing we see in Israel's history over and over, is that God blesses them when they come to him and they seek him, right? And on the other side of that, uh, God shows up. God shows up in human form to fulfill all those wonderful promises. And so we now live with the promised hope of God showing up again, right? Right? And finally, making all things right. Um, So I'll transition now, I'll hand it off to Mark.
5: Good morning, y'all. Isn't it nice to live in the South where we have a second person pronoun, y'all? All right. Um, Joni Hall I've known Joni since 1986 did not know she was here until we uh, began attending here two or three months ago Um, Joni's been through a lot in life and I hate to hear about those last things mostly which I didn't know about I didn't know that her father had died I just texted my wife. She apparently knew, which is not surprising. She's the social one among us. Uh, But um, I knew Jim fairly well. Uh, I was a minister in Oklahoma in Louisville where they attended that time. And Jim was, um, her dad was my, one of my, I was, he was one of my fans and he was one of my critics. Uh, if you know Jim, that's, that's Jim. Never afraid to say what he thought. Um, anyhow, Joni has been through a whole lot. Um, if some of you know, uh, let me know after class if she has a group that surrounds her. She does. She does, okay. I'm so glad to hear that.
6: She is one of those people that has made lots of groups. Okay. I think anybody here that knows her would say that they are one of her So she's Oh, that's, that kind of that's wonderful. So she she's does.
5: been an amazing example of faithfulness through difficulties and made her life uh, joyous uh, through all these difficulties. Anyhow, love, Joni, and uh, glad to hear there is a group. Okay, today's uh, the rest of the class, I would like to open this up for a lot of discussion. I've got a few comments to make, but I think maybe it's time for you to talk. On the things we've covered all the way through from uh, Adam, you know, being here, Adam and Eve being here to do what God wants throughout the world, and then Israel the same, and then we're going to look at Jesus the same, and the church is the same. But uh, if you have comments on this whole um, plot that we're looking at through the Bible, that would be great. And I'm curious here if you uh, if you have some questions on Jacob, and of course, Lauren is a part of these, uh, is a part of answering these questions as well. Tell me, tell me if you have something that came to mind uh, in her discussion today, because I'm going a slightly different direction. Yes?
2: I have a, I have a, a thought question. Uh, I've had an opportunity to work for a lot of Jewish people. Okay. And so they have uh, shared with me, you know, their family, Bill and I, the <coughs> real. Jewish Passover at a Jewish home right. and But I, I never will forget, one of the young men was preparing for his bar mitzvah, and uh, I got to read his, um, I don't even know what they call it, but what he turned into the rabbi. Okay. Uh, and it is an argument. They are forced to pick a topic and argue with the rabbi why God is wrong. And his particular topic, and he made a a great argument, was that shrimp should not be not kosher, that we ought ought, ought to be able to eat shrimp. He made a great great argument for it, and I just thought that is so much, you know, I've been a youth minister, and that's so much healthier, a healthier perception of God, that God is there to argue with, to talk with. and our kids are raised that God is up there and we're down here; that He's not, you know, He He would never wrestle with us. Yes. Yes. And that's, I just I wonder how we could change that. I think that's a that's a big deal.
5: That's that's a really good question. Anybody want to answer that? Uh, should that be a part? Uh, my guess is some of us have at least those thoughts running through our heads sometimes. You know, okay. really, God. Uh, but not sure that we express them even individually very much. Should we be expressing these as a body? And what are y'all thinking? How would you do that?
4: We're too busy fighting with each other than fighting with God. Okay,
5: I do think there's some of that. Uh, As I will maybe get to in a few minutes, Uh, it does strike me that um, we like some of the Psalms that are upbeat. We're not quite like Israel. The Psalms are quite diverse. And there's a lot of them that a lot of us wouldn't even want to say out loud because they're exactly this. Uh, The book of Job. You know, you have the wisdom literature. Uh, Proverbs is the one we first go to. Do this, uh, love God, and you'll be successful. And things will turn out. Don't do that because those people... Get in huge trouble and mess themselves up, but do this, and this will work out for you. It's mostly is what you get an awful lot in the Proverbs. And Job comes along, and that book says, really, <laughs> didn't work out so well for Job. And so we get the language of uh, his friends and Job, and of course uh, the friends are saying, just admit it. You deserve what you're getting because you have been such a sinner. And Job's saying, no, not really. I'm a really good guy. God, why are you doing this to me? I don't understand. Uh, and, you know, the answer, I think, at the end of that, well, several answers at the end, but one I'll miss. Who are you to question God? Only God can see the big picture. Um, Never does say God does this. You know, we can blame that back on the uh, adversary at the beginning of the book. But God certainly allows it. Okay, what are we going to do about all this? Yes. One
4: thing that came to mind when Warren was speaking, we studied Job in a class, a class ago, I don't remember, but uh, one topic was the perception that if, if God were on trial, uh, Jews would be the plaintiff's. And the Gentiles would be the defendants. The Jews feel like they haven't gotten their full uh, um, inheritance, and uh, we feel like the outsiders. You know, we're not we're not in the in crowd. I think. So, it, what place is it for us to lament uh, when we're just glad to have been invited to party?
5: Okay, I I think that's right. Um... Are you suggesting... You're not suggesting we not lament. No. No, okay. I'm
4: just saying you we know, don't... The perception I get in that field is, you know, uh, just blessed to be in the room.
5: Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, blessed to have been invited to the feast. Um, I think that's, I think mm-hmm. that's very well said. So yes, think, sir? Real
0: quick. Yes, I please. think that's a great point, and I think that does play into some of our hesitance to lament collectively, but we still feel the same sense of where are you, God, when horrible things happen. Yes. Right? That's, yes. I think that's the point. So, it's, so you're right about that's important for us to think about is what it would take for us to pivot to that kind of like teaching our kids to wrestle with God. Yes. Um, but it's, it's like we are the people who still are wondering where God is because you know,
5: because of what happened in Covenant Presbyterian, right? Yes, yes. yes. So things like that. I I think that's exactly right. Or what's happening across the world now.
0: Yes.
5: Uh, What's happening in Israel. That's the thing that's, you know, got all of the headlines now. Did you notice um, uh, the other stuff? Ukraine has dropped down to the fifth story, you know, after uh, Israel and a few other things here. And it strikes me that this is a time for lament and I've been to churches and I'm sure this church has done this too and I'm not criticizing what wasn't done in the last uh, week but it strikes me that there is a place for the church to come together and lament Hmm. over the innocents who are being killed to lament over the state of the world maybe to lament that Jesus hasn't come back yet, and uh, horrific things are happening everywhere. I personally like upbeat worship, (laughs) all right? I personally like praise better than lament. I personally like my life and its joy a whole lot more than I would like the life of the innocent Palestinians in Gaza. And I do wonder if there are times and if it's not something that we should be doing where we come together and lament together and we remind ourselves that God didn't create us and He hasn't called us to live wonderful, happy lives as rich Americans who get to go to church with other people. I mean, it's marvelous. But we're all facing all sorts of stuff. Joni. I assume it's lamenting. She needs to come have people who come along and just cry beside her. But I wonder how the, the church does this. Have y'all seen this done well? What?
6: This makes me think of Wayne and Diane Reed. Oh. I know a lot of people, those are just names, but you talk about hard stuff mm-hmm. for years and years and years, and she would be the first one to say, I don't want to hear your praise. I want to know why is God doing this? Why? Just... It was easier to lament when people were going through things. And I just think it is important that we are grateful for good lives. But if everything is always good, there's no dependence on God. And we don't remember that not everyone has what we have on Sunday morning and I agree. And uh, so I just think remembering people, and that's why it's so important that we get into people's lives. So that we are able to grieve with those who grieve and uh, lament with those who need us just to stand I went to a funeral recently, and I thought, you know, what do I want when somebody close to me dies? You don't have to say or do anything. Would you just be there, just, just, just to for me to know that you were there? Isn't that church really? And I think that that's lamenting is just, I'm sad with you. I remember when Mac Wayne Craig died, and that's Barry Harwell's uncle, and this was years and years ago, and she said, I'm walking along and people are just so happy, and I just wanted to say to them, don't you know Dr. Craig has died? Do you know who he was? Do you know what he did? And I thought, that's it. We, when we are sad, we want the whole world to be sad with us, because that shows that they are part of us, and I just think we need to be sad with others more often. We're good at rejoicing. We're not so good at uh, grieving, you know, whatever. Anyway.
5: I was at Woodmont Hills for, for several years. Again, I'm not talking about Otter Creek because I don't know what Otter Creek's doing. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> at Woodmont Hills, around Christmas time every year because it's so difficult, such a difficult time of year, special service for those who had lost people that year and for those who wanted to come and be with them. And it was pure lament. And obviously that's not appropriate to have the whole congregation of a 1,000 in to... Uh, to lament that there might be a time uh, to do some of that uh, but surely there are times in the earth or in the, in the life of the congregation where we come together and we just say Lord what is going on we know we've brought a lot of this on ourselves help us through this show us what to do bring us into joy again uh, Nobody wants to do that, let's be honest with Most of us would like to go to a joy-filled, upbeat service. Um, well,
4: and maybe that's because we, we lament personally a lot. You know, that's Jacob's right. prayer right. That's right. Lauren said, we, uh, Lord, I know I haven't been the kind of guy I ought to be, but you made this promise to us. And, and frankly, that's our prayer too. That's right, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to live this life, I've kind of blown it, about half or a third of the time, but you've made this promise of salvation because of what Jesus did. And in okay. the Psalms, yeah. I'll accept that, that a lot of it's lament, but, but I don't know if that was meant for worship. It seems to me to be the personal transcribing to somebody who is really down, questioning his faith, David and other psalmists about, hey, Lord, where are you? Times are tough. But I don't know if that was meant for public worship or not. It just seems to me it's yeah. personal transcriptions about this is life. And, and we, we face the same thing. You know, you, you can't go through life without meant because right. as it turns out, life is hard. And so what are we drawn back to? Faith. It, you know, when, right. my, when the Israelites said, we want a king instead of just Lord. What the Lord was trying to do was, well, you don't need a king to raise an army. Have faith in me. I'll take care of you. And they looked at armies around them, and they said, well, that's not good enough. I don't have enough faith for that. Right, right. I want something better. So, yeah, I, I like to come to a celebrative type worship service, uh, but that doesn't mean I don't have a lament in my life because I know what kind of a person I am, and I don't measure right. up.
5: Okay, and I I think there's an awful lot of truth in that. And if you look through the Psalms, most of them I am suffering, Lord. Help me against my enemies and that sort of thing. On the other hand, uh, the Jews came together and they chanted those Psalms together in worship. This This was the hymn book, Psalms. And so it does express what some are going through, but others can certainly, I mean, we can talk about how much we are suffering for so many reasons and everybody can come along and at least uh, can, can share that in their own life with us but they can also come and share that uh, directly with us. Uh, but, but I think there's uh, a, a lot of truth in what you're saying. And I, yeah. Yes, sir? I think one of the things that
7: gives us discomfort about the man is what you all have been talking about is that it's an inherent question of God and the circumstances that we feel like we put in as a result of what we're going through. And if, if we're... Part of what you were talking about before is, you know, how do we encourage questioning of God and the, the different ways that we go about those conversations, because if we're, you know, if we're if, if somebody is asking a question and our response is to try to give them a one, two, three answer about how all of this stuff is supposed to work, how all of these are supposed to happen, it doesn't encourage more questioning, because <clears throat> that, that's how we start to own our own faith, as opposed to having somebody say, well, I was the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we go, okay, well, yeah, but times are different. What does that mean, and how do we do that? What does it mean to live life as a, you know, 21st century white American male versus a Palestinian woman, you know, in, in Gaza? How do you, what, what does all that mean and how do we respond to those things, which is why, you know, the the tradition of deconstructing our own faith starts to happen to understand where God is in all of those places. And that's where the encouragement of questioning I think has a lot of value because it causes you to own your own faith rather than things just being passed down and <coughs> unquestioned for
5: I I think that's that's very very well said. And I do I think we do that in community. Uh, as well. Let me just tell you one uh, John Mark Hicks wrote this book John Mark's a very good friend Uh, and John Mark is one of those people I need to be around because he's had a lot of lament in life and we will get together sometimes and he will just pour out his heart and my life has been so sweet and he has run into so much trouble. None of this is a secret at all uh, John Mark's first wife died on the operating table of min- during a minor surgery. Uh, John Mark remarried a divorced woman with all of the trials uh, uh, that that brings along and um, they had a child with a severe degenerative disease whom they just had to watch uh, Die a little bit more each day until he was 18, 17 or 18. Just one of them had to be there all the time. I had to lock him in a room with a half door because he was just, I mean, uh, at times, because he was just so uncontrollable. John Mark um, then divorced her and has married again. John Mark had, uh, has had open heart surgery. Um, John Mark has diabetes. And what I want to say here is, and John Mark is about the most faithful person and joyous person in the Lord that I know. And the Lament Psalms, they always start with the, with the pain and sometimes the questioning of God. How do they always end? They end with praise, God. You're my deliverer. You're the one who knows what you're doing. I will trust in you, and I will go on. That's the great thing about the lament songs. They don't psalms. They don't end with that raw questioning that has no kind of answer or at least <coughs> no faith at the end. They always end with strong. Uh, uh, Confidence in God. When Jesus quotes, was it Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not the last verse in the song. Uh, go and read that, and it's a statement of faith. That's what they did. There was this pattern. You knew a lament song, what it was going to do, and how it's going to end. Well, and
0: the yeah. one I read doesn't end clearly that way. Uh, psalm 88 okay most
5: of them are but, but, but you're right
0: that it opens into that right that's again that's the importance of these being situated in collective worship together they weren't isolated this was being yes even that psalm which most of them do end with praise but even that one would you think about what would be coming next in the, the liturgy you're, go, you're going to have rhythms of lament and praise right?
5: yes yes Uh. Very well said. Uh, The other thing I was going to ask about is all of this suffering. Uh, Well, let me let me just say this, and we'll end we'll we'll do that later. Um, What John Mark was doing in these chapters, if you read it, uh, he basically went through the types of literature in the Old Testament. He talked about the historical literature and how that reminded Israel of its past and reminded Israel of her promised future, the good. But it was always the past is sinfulness, repentance, God forgives, we do well. Sinfulness It's just this pattern over and over again. And uh, even when uh, God blesses and brings the people back into the land of Israel, it's like they're still in exile. Because they don't repent and live differently. And so the pattern just continues. And I was going to say, so how are we doing with that? Is the pattern just continuing? Or are we really uh, doing better with that? So he talks about the historical documents. He talks about the Psalms. So he's saying, how did Israel deal with all of these things we've been talking about? How did they live up to their calling? Or did they? And how was God working with them in light of His promise that you must be holy or you will be face the consequences and yet I will redeem you. Um, so, uh, the historical documents, the Psalms, the wisdom literature, the prophets. Well, I was going to talk about Amos. That's so much fun. Uh, Amos just rips and tears and, you know, uh, just cut your legs out, and then at the very end, it's only about five verses or something like that. He says, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got nine chapters. Of, of this is, uh, you're getting what you deserve here. And he just lists all the things. This is the cows of fashion, You know, you, I shouldn't have used this example. You spoiled women who sit around watching uh, soap operas and eating bonbons. And you're unconcerned about what's going on in Israel and the poor people. Anyhow, all of this, and it comes to the end, and it's actually 13, 14, 15. Uh, no, 11, 11 through 15. It is about five verses there at the end, in which he says, But God, God is giving you hope. The future will be better. I'm over time already. Anybody have one last short comment? As we go.
2: Psalm 22, yes. the end of that talks about the strong bulls of Bashan. So if the strong bulls of
5: Bashan buried the fat cows of
6: Bashan,
5: <laughs> Wow, we'd have little monster, monster caps. Alright. Uh, thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.